Hey, Kevin, welcome to the final video for our November forecasts. This one is going to cover the time period from the 26th until the 30th. So yeah, we made it. Here we are at the end of November and we're definitely seeing a shift away from the Mars sun dominance in this week. And we'll be catching back up with Mercury and Venus. And actually both Mercury and Venus will be very much part, uh, they're going to play a, a very big role in the December astrology. So this is kind of just the beginning of getting reacquainted with Mercury and Venus. But Mars and the Sun are definitely still in play for the first aspect that we're going to talk about, which is the full moon in Gemini, which happens on November 27th. Now, before I bring up the chart, I do want to preface this by saying that the full moon in Gemini is very much linked with an aspect happening on the same day which is uh, Mercury in Sagittarius, squaring Neptune retrograde in Pisces. The full moon happens at around 4 a.m. The Mercury square happens at around 8.30 a.m. And of course, Mercury rules Gemini. So it's very much uh, involved in this lunation. And I have a lot of thoughts, a lot of feels, a lot of... Uh, curiosities, I guess would be the right word with Mercury involved. Uh, I have a lot of notes for this one. So please bear with me while I mostly look down at my phone and read those notes. Um, I think that's going to be the best uh, that will deliver the best content for all of you. I am much better when I just read my notes instead of trying to like go off the cuff. I can do it sometimes, but not always. And I feel like I've got so much to share and I just want to be as clear as possible about it, especially when we're talking about Neptune being in the mix. So I'm going to bring up the chart, but excuse my gaze being mostly uh, turned down towards the phone. Okay. Well, it would help if I had, there we go. All right. So why can't I share it? How's Scorpio season been for everybody? I guess at this point, depending on when you're watching, how's Sagittarius season going? It's early days. Do you miss Scorpio season already? Probably. I understand. It is such a sad time when we say goodbye to Scorpio season. Luckily, I'm still one day into Scorpio season right now. I'm from the past. Okay. So that's enough of me rambling. Let's move the chart to the 27th. Let's go to like 6 a.m. So we can be sort of in between the full moon and the Mercury square. And I'll just draw some little arrows here so we get an idea of where to look in the chart. So here we can see, you know, the sun opposing the moon, thus making the full moon. And uh, also we have Mercury squaring off with Neptune. Perfect. Okay. So as I said, Mars and the sun still very much in the mix for this first day. Pretty obvious why the sun is in the mix because, of course, the full moon is an opposition between the sun and the moon. Uh, and in this case, as we can see in the chart, the sun in Sagittarius and in the, and the moon in Gemini. 
So, you know, that axis of the chart is coming into a kind of grander, uh, illuminating focus here at this full moon. But Mars remains in the mix because, as you can see, it is still just two degrees away from the sun. So even though they are separating from that conjunction and their start and Mars is starting to trail behind the sun, as we saw in last week's video as well, they're still really within that important three degree range, which also puts uh, the moon and Mars in opposition, separating from the opposition. But still, at the time of the actual full moon, the moon will be also at four degrees and therefore just two degrees away from an opposition with Mars. And so basically, we just want to consider that the sun and the moon are both being impacted by that malefic influence, you know, which could add some spiciness and some heat to the full moon. There could be an underlying impatience or an urgency that is potentially exacerbated by the heightened and amplified nature of a full moon. Mars-Moon combos in particular can indicate irritability in mood. Uh, it's just it kind of brings a heat within the body. If we think about Mars as heat, the moon as the body, put the two together. And so while it, uh, I've written here, it's just outside the three degree range, but it's not. So, um, you know, the moon and the sun are, oh, I see, excuse me. I'm talking about Saturn now because we can see that Saturn is at zero degrees of Pisces. See, this is why I shouldn't uh, try to riff and not look at my notes. All right. So even though it is outside of the three degree range, the moon and the sun are both separating from a square with Saturn. So there could be some residual energies of restriction or melancholy. Uh, Saturn squaring the luminaries at this time just kind of adds like a hint of harsh, you know? So Mars adding that little bit of spice Saturn sprinkling in the harsh. More importantly, though, perhaps most importantly, we want to consider the ruler of the full moon, which uh, because it's happening in Gemini, we know is Mercury. So Mercury is still in Sagittarius, the place of its antithesis, and it is making that square with Neptune in Pisces. And as I talked about, that's an aspect that's going to perfect just a few hours after the full moon. And what's actually all the more intriguing and unique here is that this is just the first of three squares Mercury is going to form with Neptune because Mercury is actually going to retrograde through parts of both Capricorn and Sagittarius. Uh, and I, I believe that retrograde starts in mid-December. So this Mercury square Neptune is actually just the beginning of a larger story that won't actually wrap up until January of 2024 when Mercury makes the final pass with Neptune. And so in some way, I feel this full moon is really influenced by the journey of its ruler and its ruler is kind of influenced by this full moon that's happening uh, under its watch while it's interacting with Neptune. So they're kind of influencing each other in a way and impacting, um, you know, the longer story of the lunation cycle, which 
you know, some people might look at it as the uh, the cycle that happens uh, between this full moon and the next new moon in Capricorn, uh, but uh, actually it would be in Sagittarius, excuse me. And then you could also see it as like a six month period until the new moon in Gemini, you know, highlighting the other end of this axis. You could also see it as a, the yearly cycle until we get to the next full moon in Sagittarius, but then the full moon also having the impact on this journey that Mercury is about to take. But let's rewind a little bit and cover the basics of both a full moon in Gemini and a Mercury-Neptune square, and then we'll kind of come back and um, think about what they might mean all together. So a full moon in Gemini, uh, as with most happenings in Gemini, the energy can be light and bouncy and movable. Themes of curiosity, connection, and conversation come into focus. Gemini is Gemini energy is the person at the party that talks to everyone or that could talk to anyone about anything, even if they didn't have any prior knowledge of that thing. Gemini is just constantly seeking information and it's curious about all different kinds of things and it's an air sign. So it does have a social energy to it. It's um, very often called the social butterfly. Uh, Gemini is a pretty mentally stimulating energy. I mean, as we just talked about, constantly seeking and feeling very curious and having all the connections. But I guess you can also say that as in like an energy, Gemini is an energy that motivates us to seek mental and intellectual stimulation, to learn and try new things, to chat with people that can give us new insights and new curiosities to follow. And of course, because of all of that, overstimulation is quite possible because that tendency towards seeking is in, because that tendency towards seeking is in a bit of overdrive with the moon at its peak. So Gemini season all around can be a little overstimulating, but then when you add in the heightened energy of a moon uh, being at its uh, peak, at its uh, brightest, at its most full um, this is the kind of full moon that I feel like prevents you from sleeping or like wakes you up early. It keeps your mind going all night. Now, all full moons come with some level of revelation or illumination. It's usually happening in an area of the chart that has been otherwise dark for some time. Um, so with the exception of the moon moving through Gemini, you know, once per month, Gemini has been empty since about late June. So the full moon brings that area of the chart, that area of life back into our consciousness. You know, it highlights something that maybe we've forgotten about or just haven't had as much time for uh, in, in our recent lives. A full moon can also bring a bit of culmination or release to a narrative that began at the prior new moon in the same sign. So in this case, we are thinking back to that Gemini new moon back in mid-June. And it's possible that something from around that time comes into greater focus now, you know, with details surrounding that time in our lives becoming clearer and perhaps in that fuller knowing, that fuller understanding of something, it's sort of like easier to let go of. 
Now, let's shift focus to the Mercury-Neptune square. This can feel a little like a Mercury retrograde, you know, especially with Mercury in the place of its antithesis. Uh, Mercury is already not firing is already not firing on all cylinders. And then it comes into this hard aspect with Neptune, which can really just make for foggy facts and diluted data, um, an experience where things are just not working as well or in the way that they normally would. It's an aspect that speaks to a mismatch between our internal understanding and the external uh, reality of something. It's ripe for misunderstandings, crossed wires, confusion, disappointments. It's really not an ideal time for signing long-lasting contracts or having really important meetings. Um, integral details can just be overlooked a lot more easily. Mercury-Neptune combos always feel like good times for imaginative and creative work, for clocking out early. Uh, for checking out of the every everyday mundane tasks, unless you're really bringing a little bit of magic and spirituality to those mundane tasks. Um, and if you if you are busy on a Mercury Neptune day and you really don't have much of an option to slow down the schedule, making those tasks feel magical, I think can really help us get through. Uh, Mercury-Neptune combos are good for slowing down, moving with caution, and making sure you get enough rest. So let's think about it all together. With the full moon energy, the rest that is encouraged by a Mercury-square-Neptune, I think becomes even more essential. You know, I already talked about that overstimulation piece, that type of full moon that keeps us awake at night that has us wanting to go outside and howl at the moon right i mean go do it but like also make time for rest um neptune has a really sensitizing quality and so with all the curiosity of the moon and gemini all that mental stimulation it would be possible to just feel totally overwhelmed by all the possibilities all the sources of stimuli and that might make us want to check out you know so it might be that the excitement that is inherent to a full moon is kind of flattened by a mental focus that is too scattered and too unclear to really participate but I think one of the more positive possibilities for this full moon is that it might be really lovely for creativity. I think especially for creative writing and storytelling, things that don't require any kind of reliance on facts. It's great for fiction. It's great for fantasy. This would be a really fun night for a full moon circle, I think, or fun afternoon or whatever. I mean, just leave leave the meeting time a little bit flexible because people are going to be late or people are going to be early or there's going to be some sort of miscommunication about like what kind of candle you're supposed to bring. So just like leave the details loose and lax. But I think it makes for a really nice like spiritual coming together. Again, moods might be irritable, but yeah. Uh, a possible tagline for this full moon might be fantasy versus reality or fiction versus fact, because a lot of this does really read just as an invitation to be cautious about information, to question anything that is presented as hard data and fact. And we might really be navigating some feelings of what ifs and wishes. 
you know, like we really wish that this part of life looked that way, uh, that it would be moving and evolving in a certain way or that it would feel a certain way. But, you know, here's here's the reality of it. Here's the stark reality of it. When I look at this chart, the word distraction just keeps coming back to me. And I can't decide if that's the if if it's the full moon that is the distraction or if the distraction um, or if it's the Mercury Neptune square, because with Mercury ruling the lunation, it does feel a little hard to separate. Now, I think social media comes into play somehow with all of this, you know, maybe that's part of the distraction. Like maybe we are looking in the wrong places for truth and understanding. Maybe we can't quite discern um, where to get good information or what accounts are sharing good information. I don't know. I would highly recommend some level of skepticism towards social media on a day like this and to definitely just be really cognizant of what you are also putting out there because it could just be adding to the messiness. Neptune square Mercury, Mercury square Neptune, whatever, definitely makes for a messiness of the mind, uh, a a a garbledness of the words <laughs> like that Neptune in that harsh in that more difficult configuration just really like makes the mind and and the words like slippery so the truth is multifaceted that is for sure I think this might wind up being some kind of lesson in leading too hard into one specific set of beliefs, you know, all this mutable energy coming into focus between all the planets in Sagittarius, the moon over in Gemini, and then Neptune in Pisces, and Mercury itself, like all of that energy and the moon too, it's also changeable. It's also in flux and flexible. And I think this day calls for a level of flexibility and adaptability that we might not necessarily be used to, but we can open ourselves to, you know, stay open, stay curious, and let's not settle for something that just purports to be the final word on something. Like, let's be curious about why that's being said, you know, there's definitely something here about what we see isn't what we get, false advertising, not being able to fully trust what we're thinking or seeing. So basically not a day for anything that's like super high stakes. Honestly, this whole day, this whole chart to me looks a little ungraspable. I don't think that's a word, but making up words would definitely be a Mercury-Neptune thing. And just to be perfectly transparent, I am fairly uncertain about how this will all shake out. This what I just presented to you is my best at a my best attempt at a translation. But I, as I look at the chart, as I talk to you, and as I wrote about this, no matter how long I stared at this chart, no matter all the different ways I tried to extract information, even after writing all of that, I was like, I'm missing something. Like, I feel like there is an element that is just 
not coming to me. So this is one of the aspects of November that I'm sort of most looking forward to seeing how it comes to life, how it really does manifest, because I think I'm going to learn something. I think we'll probably all learn something. So yeah, looking forward to seeing how it unfolds and we'll probably be watching it totally unfold for a couple of months. Cause as I mentioned, Mercury is going to square Neptune those three times over, uh, well, between November and early January. So lots to think about. Definitely want to hear your take. Um, yeah, this will definitely be something I think we talk about at the December monthly circle, but yeah, it looks it looks messy. It looks really fun for a full moon ritual. I don't know. Yeah, there we go. All right. Now we will move ahead to the final aspect of November. It's not my favorite aspect of the month, I shall be honest. So we're going to move ahead to the 29th at around noon Eastern, and we shall see that, um, nope, not Mercury, uh, Venus is perfecting that conjunction with the South Node in Libra. I talked about this a little bit already uh, when we discussed Venus moving into Libra in the first place, uh, but a little bit more here. So this is the same degree that the Sun moon and mercury and mars all met with the south node back in october that's because the nodes stay pretty much stationary during eclipse season so they've been at 24 for a long time so people with planets or angles at 24 of libra or you know the other cardinal signs so like aries cancer capricorn you've been getting it from the nodes for a bit. I mean, yeah, especially Aries and Libra with the nodes actually being there at 24, but that is coming to an end relatively soon. Um, as we leave November, I believe they are moving on to uh, 23 degrees. So anyways, this is, this is the same degree. So it's just been a lot of activity in this area of the chart. And this Venus South Node conjunction, it's, it's really another point of emphasis on Venus's 2023 story of redefining, of reevaluating and reemerging. You know, this time at this conjunction, the RE flavor of all of that, I think, is releasing. You know, that's what the South Node brings is a chance to empty out, to purge, declutter, purify, cut ties. We might not be able to fully explain in a logical way why we make certain decisions when it comes to the South Node, because this is a point in the chart that speaks to a detaching from the more material sides of life. It is a very spiritualizing energy. The North Node pulls us towards like accumulation in a certain way, whereas the South Node wants us to you know, get rid of all of our possessions and go live on the land somewhere. I mean, maybe not to that extreme, but like, you know, getting rid of shit. Uh, the nodes themselves are said to be the head and the tail of a dragon with the north node being the head and the south node being the tail. So with the tail, with the south node, we don't have a head for making rational sense of things. All we have is the gut and the gut feeling. So it's those instances when we know something, you know, we know it deep down to be true, 
but we maybe can't fully verbalize exactly why. Now, what I do like about this aspect is that Venus is both in rulership and in its own uh, terms, or you might know them as bounds, the Egyptian terms or Egyptian bounds. So that gives Venus two levels of dignity here, and it does feel like it lends a lot of agency to Venus as it passes through the dragon's lair of sorts. It feels like Venus knows why it's going through this trial and is able to move through on its own terms for the most part, like, you know, it's in its own terms. And kind of one of the ways to interpret that is that a, a planet literally gets to do things on its own terms. So even if a planet, like let's say uh, Venus was in Virgo, but if it was in its own terms, it still had a little bit more say in how things were going. Here, Venus is in rulership and in its own terms. So yeah, a ton more agency, I think, in this situation. There is almost a final boss quality with this because all the other planets that have had to interact with the South Node have been in Venus's sign. And so many of the themes they navigated were therefore Venusian. And now it's actually Venus coming to the meeting. And, you know, then after this, we're done with the South Node for a while. So it's really like, uh, you know, I guess talking to the manager, but final boss feels more applicable here. It's like, you know, finally the, the, yeah, the big boss. I don't really know how else to say it. I'm not going to try. So this is a purging of the past in regards to relationships and relationship patterns. It's dealing with old wounds that were a result of a connection of some kind and releasing ourselves from old ways of behaving in relationships or old ideals around what relationships are supposed to look and feel like. It's a disentangling ourselves from the people and patterns that drain and deplete us and keep us rooted to the past in a way that does not support new growth. We are disentangling from old ways, old versions, old wounds, cutting ties with people pleasing and the need to go along to get along. We might want to consider what or who still holds us back from having the relationships that we truly deserve and how we might go about making peace with that and then working towards letting them or letting it go. And of course, this can totally be about self-love as well and any of the barriers or blockages around self-love um, and the ways that we show up for ourselves, you know, the ingrained and potentially toxic beliefs around self-worth, self-value that likely come from something external and not our actual true beliefs. And we probably did a lot of learning about what our actual true um, beliefs and values around Venusian things are during the retrograde. And now they're kind of like coming home to roost in a way, but also to like face off in this final boss battle. You know, we just spent all summer with Venus retrograde inviting us to reassess our values and desires. And now we must work to shed and clear the parts of life that still prevent us from pursuing those values and acting in alignment with them. You know, what gets in the way of us choosing behaviors that help us move towards our values? This could be an entire relationship. You know, your values and desires and priorities have changed and therefore the dynamic you had with somebody just no longer really fits. But it could also be in relation to a way that you are in relationship, you know, so that has to shift. So let's decide or let's say that you decide 
you don't want to be on social media every day anymore. You know, it just isn't something that you feel called to, but you have certain friends and connections that you only really communicate with using Instagram. So can you find different ways of communicating with these people of um, staying in touch and, and keeping the relationship strong? And I guess if some people decide that they can only talk via Instagram, I mean, that is what it is. But if you can work towards shifting how you show up in that relationship, how they can show up for you in the relationship, then that gets to stay, right? With Venus conjunct the South Node, relationships in general might just feel a little bumpy and rocky, um, though it would stand to reason that they've probably been rocky and bumpy for a little while now, like since Venus began that retrograde. But now I think we do have a better understanding of which relationships are worth strengthening, which relationships are going to be coming along for more of the ride. And you know, you can maybe do some remediation around this aspect. Um, move with the energy by decluttering some very um, physical physical items that are like Venusian coated. So what I mean by that is like getting rid of old clothes, old jewelry, makeup, uh, change around the artwork in your home or in a room that you have. Um, getting rid of pieces of of art, whatever you have on the walls, even photos, like changing up photos, getting rid of stuff that no longer really aligns with your aesthetic tastes. Some of that might feel superficial, but really the way that we adorn ourselves and our environments is directly connected to our value systems. And that's of course going to look different for everyone. But, you know, I just, I think like, why are we wearing certain clothes if we don't even like them, you know, are we wearing them for somebody else? Are we wearing them because society, it's society says it's what we should wear. So just another type of value system to consider. I have done this before, like when Venus was on the South node last year in Scorpio, Scorpio is my first house. So that also really does deal with things like appearance in the self. And I use it as a time to go through my closet and it, it just felt like in line. It felt like it was just so much easier to get rid of stuff and, and to be like, you know what? I actually don't even like, I don't reach for this piece. It doesn't feel like me anymore. Boom. Bye. So you can move with that energy. All right. So that is it for November. Very excited to have been sharing all of my thoughts and feels with you lovely coven members. I'm really, really grateful that you have chosen to spend some time with me here. And I can't wait to actually meet with all of you at our monthly circle. Stay tuned for some details on when we'll be having that. I'm kind of just waiting to see who's going to join in time for the first circle and then where everybody is located so that we can pick a time that really does work best for everyone involved. It's very, very Libra of me, even though it's Scorpio, but my chart ruler is in Libra. So, you know, uh, all things that we can discuss at the monthly circle, you know, we can discuss, uh, current transits, upcoming transits. We can discuss like natal chart stuff. It, I don't want it to be like a Q and a, like, I really want us to be on equal footing, all sharing what we feel about astrology. That's really important to me that it is a community. So anyways, there I go rambling again. And, uh, yeah, if you have any questions about this week's transits, 
like I said, I definitely want to hear your takes on that full moon in Gemini with the Mercury square Neptune. So much to talk about. Can't wait to dive into December, although I should definitely slow down and live through November. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you guys so much for being here. This has been so much fun and I shall see you soon. Bye-bye.